Hi, I'm Joanne Murphy. Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers, and endurance enthusiasts. Welcome to episode four of Try Talking Sport. Today I'm joined on the show by Mike Riley. Mike is renowned across the world as the voice of Ironman. Based out of San Diego, Ironman Ireland Cork was his 185th Ironman event. He has called close to 400,000 athletes across the line to the legendary words of, you are an Ironman. This year, Kona Hawaii will be his 31st year on the Big Island to call people home at the Ironman World Championships. He is an Ironman Foundation Ambassador Team Captain, a member of the Ironman Hall of Fame, the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame, and the Running USA Hall of Champions. He has recently released a new book called Finding My Voice. Aloha, Mike Riley, Cade Mila to Ireland, Cade Mila to Try Talking Sports Podcast. I am delighted to have the voice of Ironman join me on this episode. Aloha back to you, Joanne. Welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm great. So tell me, why are you in Ireland, Mike? I'm in Ireland for Ironman Ireland Cork. Uh, it, it's just, it's actually an honor to be here. And, and I love doing and being a part of first year events, mainly because I get to see the look and the awe in the community because they have no idea what's coming their way on Sunday. They have no idea. I mean, they have an idea that, you know, it's a swim, bike, run. But when they see the passion and the excitement and the look on competitors' faces when they come through the finish line, they'll be affected for the rest of their lives. And I know that because I've seen it over and over again. So that's why I'm so excited about being here to see how you all is going to take this race in. You all are y'all. Y'all. <laughs> We've been practicing uh, some y'all. of the pronunciations. How hard is it? Y'all. I know. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. What's up? I know. Y apostrophe A L L for y'all. Yes. Um, well, you know, Cork is my home county, but obviously I'm a, a Cork girl by birth, but a Galway girl by heart um, and we're actually in the hotel room here in the team hotel room and we're looking out uh, over the expo area where the athletes register where the merch is and uh, just two kilometers away from us is where the race will start on Sunday and obviously this episode has been recorded before the race itself um, but there's great excitement in the town you arrived here yesterday from San Diego right San Diego and and uh, as soon as I got here I mean I went across to the expo and I met John, our race director, and Dean and Leah from the merch store, and started meeting everybody. And you know, the Iron Man roadies or carnies, as I call them in my book, and acknowledge I acknowledge them because of what they do. And it's uh, it's a very tightly knit family that put on Iron Man races, whether you put one on in 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 here or Frankfurt or you know Lake Placid, New York or Kona. It's a tight-knit family, and they all are doing the same job of making sure that everything is perfect for the athletes on race day. That's our number one goal, number one objective. And it's not just the events team that have lots of preparation to, to do. It's the announcers have a huge amount of work to do as well, and I know that you and I have been I don't know working what you're talking about. I quite closely. And, I wake up and turn on the mic and <laughs> yeah, whatever here mic. we go, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we've worked quite closely in terms of prep for the race as well to try and make it look seamless that what we do um, to increase the experience for the athletes is 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 powerful as well uh, for them from the minute they step into transition on race day morning. Now, I, I've always lived by the five Ps. Proper planning prevents poor performance. And the, the more you're 
ready for an event and the more knowledge you have in your head the more comfortable you feel and and when we speak over a microphone people hear our inflections they they get our attitude uh, we're able to you know bring up a crowd and keep them up because it's all about one thing it's about the athletes so I want I want spectators in the community to give them as much praise as they possibly can and the more information we have about the event the, the better it is for everybody and music plays a huge part of that as well on the day in terms of getting playlists and everything together because music resonates with people so they might forget about the little bit of pain they had throughout the day but they remember the music that took them out of the bit of pain that they had so that's a huge uh, part of it as well songs music you know it's a it's a universal connector music has always been a, a global connector uh, and it's funny I'll I'll play music from the 80s and I'll watch a 19 year old singing the song word for word like I will the 60 year old. I go, oh, the 80s, everybody loves the 80s, you know, it just seems to be, and, and no matter if it's a, a, a U2 from Ireland or the Rolling Stones or whomever it may be, it, it doesn't matter what country the band's origin's from, people recognize the songs, you know, songs are just universal. So I get a lot of requests, hey Mike, can you play this song by Shania Twain when I come in I go no that's not going to happen <laughs> we build the playlist before and in the US now there's a company that actually does most of the music I'll interject some songs here and there but uh, you just can't set it up for someone no, but we, we've had loads of requests for different songs specifically for uh, Ironman Ireland and uh, some of those songs will be on the playlist on Sunday. But Ironman Ireland is very special for you, Mike, not just from um, your uh, announcing perspective, but actually because you are part Irish. But I suppose every American is part Irish, but you have very clear oh, connections. Every American is part Irish. Yeah, I, I they mean, are. Well, Jimmy Wojciechowski would agree with <laughs> I'm that. Sure, sure, Jimmy came from James, which <laughs> yeah. came from Seamus, oh, yeah. from the middle of Roscommon, <laughs> years ago but um you know you have got irish connections which makes this race even more special for you yeah it's very special you know i'm a michael joseph patrick riley and say that again because you said it very michael quickly joseph patrick riley but uh yes we do you know county cavan county leitrim and we've gone all the way back to our ancestors that came from ireland to the u.s we actually uh my family my six brothers and sisters and i actually maintain the cemetery in southern michigan that the family is buried in, that the original uh, Michael and Elizabeth were the first two to come over. Uh, and and it's, it's crazy. I mean, their headstone's there, it's worn off. We're trying to find a sketch artist to be able to carve back into the stone because since uh, I think he passed away in the early 1800s or 1700s. And, and you know, it's just, it's just a great connection. Uh, family is everything. And, and when you can know that your ancestors, and you know, it was tough back then. To be able to do what they did to come from Ireland. Can you imagine traveling from Ireland to the U.S. and trying to find a new life? And and then there was a lot of discrimination with the Irish all through the, the early part of the U.S. You know, it's like if you wanted to be discriminated against, like come to America. I mean, it's just the way it, it kind of was. But yeah, the connection is heavy and I, I adore it. This isn't your first time to Ireland. Obviously, you announced the Ironman 70.3 in Galway back in 2011, and that's where I met you first, and that's where my uh, trajectory of, of announcing started, which was uh, phenomenal. But you came back with your family to actually trace your roots a bit more in the meantime. We did that. We did that before. We did that in the 1990s after my uh, mom and dad passed away kind of close to one another. The six children at, at my mom's funeral go, 
we're only getting together at like funerals. So I actually said, hey, I'll tell you what, let's go to Ireland a year from now. And I designed a trip and we, we did the whole country in a van, just the six brothers and sisters, no spouses. And, and did you kill each other? We almost, no, we didn't kill each other. And the age range difference was, there's a separation of like 22 years between youngest and oldest. So uh, my younger sister and I, because we're the youngest, we're with the four older brothers and sisters, hearing stories we'd never heard before. And we went and ended up in Cavan and Leitrim, you know, saw, went to a cemetery where Monsignor Riley was buried. You know, it's just, it was just great. Then my one brother, Patrick, actually came back home, retired, and bought a resort in uh, the Ozarks in Missouri and called it the Irish Hills Resort. And he had 12 cabins, and he named the, named the 12 cabins according to the route. One of them was Kinsale, one of them was Waterford, one of them was Galway. He's got all, oh, all wow. the route we did in Ireland. That's how he named his cabins in the uh, Ozarks. It was, so that's how thick it is for us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very close connection. Yes. Yeah, and you, you have come back since. You've yeah, come we've back come back a few times. Well, I came yeah. back and brought uh, uh, my wife Rose and the, and the kids back when they were young. Uh, and then came back again with my brother. So I've been, you know, six or seven times over. So I want to go back, Mike, and talk about the early years before you ever got involved in Ironman announcing and come back to, you had to, you went to college to become a teacher. I did become a teacher, yeah, a special ed teacher. Yeah, but that went way to the wayside back how many years ago when you were running? Oh gosh, I, I taught for two years, but I, was, I got into running in San Diego. I wrestled in college and then uh, hooked up with a running group. And couldn't believe how fast these guys were. And, and one of the first runs I did was in Balboa Park, which is a very hilly terrain in San Diego, but a beautiful park, it, like a central park in New York. San Diego has Balboa Park. And I show up for this Wednesday night run and there was a, a girl there. there was, this was 1978 or 79. And I, and I was invited by a couple of the guys. I go, this girl's gonna run with us? <laughs> well, she led. We did an eight-mile run to Balboa Park. I had never run more than four miles training for wrestling. And I hung on to the back of this group. I couldn't walk for two days after. And she ran it like it was nothing. Well, the next year, her name was Sue Crenn. She did third at the Boston Marathon. Oh, wow. So I, she was world-class, and I didn't know this. So I got into running heavy duty and started running, you know, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. Uh, and did that all through the 70s and 80s, you know, ran a When you were wrestling as well at the same time, or did you just... No, this was after back? university. This is after, this is after yeah. I was done, yeah. And then you ended up working in the industry. Right away after we, uh, my brother and I had the running shoe stores, we sold those and I became a sales rep. I represented Saucony. I, I was the first power bar rep in the U.S. I represented Timex watches. I represented... Uh, you know, tennis ball lines, but uh, a lot of things in the endurance business. So I actually started the Saucony Triathlon team. That Tell still me more about today. that, yeah. You know, uh, who, who was on that first team? Scott Tinley, we brought Greg Welch on, Carol Montgomery. Uh, there was some pretty big athletes on that, on that team. So you went from working in the industry to and running. So where did the break come for the announcing? How did that come about? And don't tell me I have to read the book to find out. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a running race in, in uh, 79. I was hurt, I had a bad hamstring. So I showed up, because it was down at Mission Bay, that's where all the 10K and 5K races were. And the race took off and Lynn Flanagan 
uh, who I knew, who's a race director, she goes, what are you doing? I go, uh, I got a bad hammy, I can't run. And she goes, well, I got this, I got this microphone and speaker, I was just gonna say the people's names. So she gave me a dot matrix printout from, uh, from her computer, which I uh, looked at it, I go, oh my God, of the entries' names, there was like 300 people in the race. She goes, why don't you, you know everybody, why don't you call their names? Well, first thing I thought of, I could make fun of my friends when they're finishing. You know, I go, okay. So I started calling people's names and I saw the reaction on their faces. Like, whoa, somebody just said my name and said, good job or well done, you know. And, uh, and friends would come in and afterwards they go, God, that was great. You got to do that again. And I go, I'm going to run the race. So Lynn asked me about a month later and I was racing a half marathon that she was putting on. And I said, no, I'm, I'm racing, I don't want to do it, you know, because it wasn't the thing I was going to do. Uh, I, so anyway, she called me again a little bit later uh, for another race and said she'd pay me like $100. I go, are you kidding me? You'll give me a, just a BS on the microphone? I go, hell yeah, I'll, I can run the race anytime. So, so that's how it began. And next thing you know, people kept calling me and go, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I was running your race. Hey, I'll pay you $200 if you announce it. I go, okay. So it just grew from there. And then triathlon came into fruition in San Diego early on. Uh, you know, I, I, I did my first, my first triathlon was a half Ironman. Oh, where was that? Uh, it was in, with the Navy SEALs. Uh, it was, a, our goal was just to pass Navy SEALs on the run. Because they could swim like the fish. They rode well, but they were big guys. They didn't run well, so I remember passing them all, you know, and thinking, I hope they don't kill me. And, and uh, uh, then I just started announcing a lot of triathlons. I actually worked, was the co-race director, and announced the first ever professional triathlon in the world, in San Diego. Oh, first wow. time pros ever got paid. Wow. Yeah. In the race was Scott Tinley, Mark Allen, uh, Dale Busescu, who, that name, you know, wouldn't know, but he was one heck of an athlete. And uh, Dave Scott in that first race. How long ago was that? That was 19, that was 80. 1980? Yeah. Wow, things have moved on a lot from then, haven't they? Uh -huh. So you were announcing running races, announcing triathlon. Where uh, You actually started training. You were watching Kona at one point or something, weren't you? And then you were saying, God, I want to get to Kona. You were well, starting to train yourself to yeah. do... You remember, Hawaii. I lived in San Diego. Everybody yeah. lived there and trained yeah. there. All the top triathletes in the world. The only one, Dave Scott, was up in Northern California. But, you know, Mark Allen, Paul Anubi Frazier, Paul Huddle, they were all based in, in San, San Diego. Diego. We'd do a Tuesday run, Wednesday ride. That was together. Then you worked out on your own. And those Tuesday runs and Wednesday rides were killers. Everybody was in them. So our, I would just try to hang on. And then come... October, they'd all go to Kona, and I was so jealous because this was 81, 82, 83, 84. You know, Bob Babbitt would go, and i go, I want to go there one day. Well, how can I go there? Well, I'll start training more. So I started training for it, but that's when I got the call, you know, to the major leagues, you know, from Valerie Silk. What was it like getting and, the phone call? Well, Mike Plant, who, God bless his soul, just passed away, uh, one of the originators of journalism in, in the sport uh, he called me up because he was announcing the race and he said hey uh, Valerie says I need an assistant announcer uh, because I can't do this on my own I go well can you and he goes no I go all right when this year I go well I'm training for the race so it'll be hard you know 
so Valerie then calls me up and offers me what she would give me. I won't say the money wise, and I go, even Rose goes, you can always do that damn race. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so the free trip to Hawaii, you know, the whole deal. Plus, I get to help announce Kona. And so that was in 89. It, that's just how it started. And you've announced at every single Kona since... This will be my 31st in a row, yeah, this October. What is it about Kona that is just so magical? That's like asking a nine-year-old, what is it about Disneyland? Why is it so magical? But why? It just is. It, it, it's for, the, people who, for people who are listening, who maybe one, aspire to go to Kona and potentially will get there, but more so for the people who will never understand what it is like to stand in Kona and watch the race or to be part of it, whether it's as a volunteer or as a medic or as an announcer or as whatever part, or as an athlete, whatever part of it. What is well, it about one, that race? Is so every amazing? sport has its pinnacle. Uh, you know, whether it's the Rugby World Cup, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether it's, uh, you know, every, every sport's got its pinnacle. It's world championship the one everybody wants to win. And most of those sports are team sports. This is an individual sport. And so to be able to get to Kona, whether you're uh, Jan Fredino or Patrick Lange or Marinda Carfrey, a world champion who want to win the event, there's also that, that 68-year-old grandmother who is also doing the event on the very same course. And she wants to get to that finish line. And it means just as much to her. So you've got 20, in my mind, 2,500 world champions that are going to cross the finish line in Kona. Sure, there's one crown, the world champion, but they're all champions. And you have to qualify for Kona. You just can't sign up and go. Plus, the big island of Hawaii has a very magical pull to it. It is just a very spiritual place. It's a uh, unforgiving tough race with winds and the lava field and the heat and the humidity uh, and, and it's it's not something you take lightly so people when they finally get to Kona they really think they've gotten to heaven on earth mm. and even though the day is going to beat them up even though it's a very difficult day when they come to the finish line and they run into those lights they think they're really truly running into the lights but they get to say hi to their family afterward. They're, they're, not, they're still on this earth. But it, it's just a magical place. And it's, it's hard to explain. I've had friends go to Kona who I've been talking about to them about the race for 15 years or so. Uh, neighbors of ours did this one year. And he came up to me and he goes, you never told me it was like this. I go, dude, I've been telling you forever what Kona's like. No, your words never did it justice. You have to... You have to breathe it. You have to experience it. You have to be standing on the hot lava, and then you get it. It, it is actually, it's amazing when you step off the plane in Kona. I mean, coming from Ireland, even coming from like the States, States yeah. you know, you're just hit with the heat, the humidity, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. It's a very magical experience just even to get there. Uh, and it's a very slow, pace. Mm. Uh, the locals are beautiful, beautiful people and uh, the Hawaiian culture is deep in, in history uh, and spirit and they don't take that lightly. So you actually slow down when you get there. Sure, we still have meetings and things, the race still starts on time, but you're walking around feeling like 
you know what? I think I could live to 120 years old if I lived <laughs> in this type of environment. You're kind of in a different bubble. You're you're in a, an Iron Man bubble, I think, when you're away in in Kona, maybe. Yeah, you are. You and close the door to, on the world outside, and you, this becomes your true. But but for those of us that have been there a lot of times, we make sure we're part of that that culture. And I've been to Kona non-Iron Man times, and it is a small, sleepy, not in a bad way, sleepy sort of town, slow pace. But uh, more and more mainlanders are moving to Kona just because they love it. Uh, but the locals are what make that race. People don't know that. They, they make the race. For you, Mike, on race day, I mean, you start at, you know, you probably don't st- sleep the night before the race. Sometimes Not necessarily I, Kona, but any of the other races. Uh, some nights I, I'll sleep a couple hours. I'll just kind of be up all night. Not worry, you know, it's not... If I don't sleep the night before, it's no big deal. Uh, so I get a few hours, I'm fine. And what is it about the race day itself, an Ironman day itself, that is just so special for you on the finish line? Well, we're, we're going to be a part of, a small part of someone's dreams coming true and someone's life possibly changing for the better. And I won't even say possibly. I've seen so many lives change for the better. And we're a part of it. You know, it's like that monumental moment in, in your life, whether it was the birth of your child or whether it was a, a marriage, whether it was, uh, you know, getting that promotion you've been working 20 years for. Whatever that pinnacle or monumental thing was in your life, a lot of times none of those top a finish line experience at an Ironman. And not because I'm saying that from, I'm saying that because Athletes have told me that over and over again. And so to be a small part of that, it, it's, the, it's, it's, it's probably the best privilege one could have in their mm-hmm. lives. That's why in my book, I've said a couple times, I'm the luckiest guy in sport, to be able to be a part of that. And, and you know what that's like. And, and you know, to be able to, I think one of the greatest things one can do in their lives is try to make someone else happier, try to enhance their lives. Not because of who you are or things, but. But all of a sudden, if your words and your actions and your attitude uh, can help infect someone else's life so that it, it adds luster to it, my gosh. And I get to do that two, 3,000 times a race. I mean, yeah. just by four words or yeah. telling them they look, you know, like a million dollars. Sometimes I think, you know, you have to pinch yourself when you're at the finish line of a race and kind of go, wow, this is this is my job. I have, I'm so privileged and lucky to be here, to have a small part in the journey, as you mentioned, um, for somebody to cross that finish line. And those four words, I'm not gonna say them, you can say them. Um, you know, they- I'll say them Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are what the athletes, they just, they, they just want to hear those four words. I mean, it's astounding. They, they've taken on a life of their own, and I, I dive into it. I actually have a chapter, You Are an Iron Man, because... You said it, not me. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I didn't say it with the enthusiasm I usually said. <laughs> but I actually, I dive into it because it's, even to me, it's still kind of mind-boggling on what it's become. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I wrote a passage in the book about the proclamation of, of hearing that, and, and, you know, it, it's just, it's sometimes hard to put it into words uh, because 
we never know. I always know everybody finishing a race has a backstory. We all have backstories. Some are more traumatic than others. Some are happier than others, no matter what it is. So when we proclaim that person an Ironman when they come on in, it's fulfilling their dream and saying that their backstory was worth it. Whether they may have lost a child, whether they may have lost a spouse, whether they battled cancer and they came out on the other side. That backstory is, is theirs, it's personal. And we're adding a touch of, of uh, not class, but we're adding a, a, a touch of realism to it that, you know what, you are amazing. What you just did, there, and nobody ever for the rest of your life can take this away from you. And you don't let them take it away from you. And all those words I just said just now, that's what you are an Iron Man represents. It represents so many things in their lives. Uh, and, and so it's, it's not just saying job well done at the finish line. It's saying you are an amazing person and what you just did shows the world what you are. You know, because what you are speaks louder than what you can say. And, and it's, it's, it's true. Uh, and when people say to me, well, I can't do this, because of this reason I can't, I go, oh, I don't wanna hear it. Excuses to me are invalid. I've seen every excuse in the book get rolled over and come across the finish line. Whether it's a double leg amputee, whether it's someone who was, who was crushed by a, a bus in New York City and should not have even lived and crosses the finish line, you know, four years later. It's just, you can't go there with me. I don't believe it. Because I believe the other side. I believe the positive side. I believe, and, and, and if you, you know, you live your life like that, watch what happens. You know, excuses are invalid. You have a lovely quote in the book. Uh, you say, Iron Man isn't something you do, it's something you become. And I think it's not just about crossing the finish line on the day, it's about the journey to get to an Iron Man. The journey is, is difficult and tough, but it's also healing. It also transforms a person. It helps them cope with something that could have happened in their life. Uh, and then that race day does the very same thing. It's like they're building that unbelievable birthday cake, you know, and it's got three layers to it and their training's done. Well, we gotta frost that cake. We gotta put the best frosting, and that's what race day does. And as soon as they come through the finish line, boom, it's all frosted and it's like, it's complete. And it tastes wonderful, you know. It <laughs> well, tastes, that's one way to describe it. It tastes so good, <laughs> you know. You, and you, what do you dive and do first? The frosting, the finish. Yeah. You know, you enjoy the spoils of your victory. And the emotion, I think, is massive on the finish line. More so at an Ironman full distance than at any other distance on a race. I think just the amount of emotion that you see on the finish line, you see people breaking down, their bodies are breaking down, but they break down, they, they want to hug you, they want to cry. Um, it, it's, it's, ama it's amazing, it it's, it's actually, you know, you'd want to be a very cold person to not be um, moved by some of what we see on the finish lines. Yeah, if you're not moved by what you see at an Ironman finish line, you better reevaluate who you are. Mm. And most people are moved, yeah. even the people that think they can't be, uh, you know. And really, I, I told stories from the book that affected me dramatically and inspired me and motivated me, made me laugh and made me cry. 
And all I wanted to do was put into words those stories so people could realize that I'm not trying to teach lessons. Nobody wants to be taught a lesson. We're big boys and girls. We got the, the best lesson you can learn is the one you teach yourself because you'll take that with you forever. So when I'm able to tell those stories, I have grown macho men have come up to me and go, you son of a bee. By page 38, you had me crying. How dare you? You know, I, I, I go, what do you mean? I, I don't believe that. What, what it pulled out of me. And we all have that in us. Mm. And the, the crying or the laughing, it's, it's who we are. And, you know, that's what a finish line is. This book is a finish line. You, they're crying, they're laughing, they're drooling, they're leaning, they're falling. They're, you know, it's just life. Iron Man is life. Iron Man is life. Um, I want to come back and actually, I'm going to get you to tell me a little story out of the book. Uh, just one story that stands out for you um, in the book that you want to tell us. He doesn't want to tell me Lynn, any story, but Lynn I'm going to make him Lynn tell Mills. me a story. Uh, I'll tell the Lynn story because it referred to something we've already talked about. Uh, all the names in the book are the names except Lynn is a pseudonym. Uh, Lynn did Ironman Arizona and uh, I didn't know who she was but I called her in and then after the uh, race was over I received a note from her on my Facebook page on private messenger and and she told me what she had been going through she'd been going through some very tough mental issues her whole life tough background and actually showed me the suicide note she had written to her family and this was a suicide note that she was going to give to her family because she was going to do that before Ironman Arizona. Yet while she was training for the race, she kind of confided in a friend. She goes, you know what? You got to wait until you hear what Mike Riley says to you at the finish line. This is what this guy says to her. So she goes, all right, I'll wait to do it until after the race. What the hell? So she does Arizona. She comes in. I bring her in. And she told me, I said everything, I said other things that are between me and her on race day to her, because I'll say other things to people. And uh, she swears she heard the song, Someone Saved My Life Tonight by Elton John when she was coming in. So after the race, she wrote to me, showed me her note and says, I'm good, I'm not going to do it, you saved my life. I go, I didn't save it, you know. She gave me her phone number and I called her up. Uh, this was 2000, I think it was 14. We... We still communicate all the time. She's doing wonderful. She's done a couple of races since. She's strong. She's well. Uh, it, and it, it brought to mind with me, you, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things, as I said before, about backstories. But, you know, the, the mental issues people never want to talk about because it's not like, you know, someone had uh, it, it, breast cancer or someone prostate or, you know, whatever, leukemia. You, you just... You talk about those things because oh my gosh, we got it, but you don't talk about the mental side. And she was so open with me uh, about it, and uh, I with her on uh, talking back with her about it. And so I, I had to write about that. And when you read it, you realize you, you think you may have it tough in your life, and but if you have issues on the mental side that are telling you to do things, you sometimes no, they're not right. But she has put it all together. For some reason, that single act, that single night, catapulted her into a new way, to, way of her life. 
uh, and she's thriving, she's wonderful, she's on good meds, got good doctors, back connected with the family. I mean, because her upbringing was very, very difficult. And uh, so, so that's why I would never in a million years take for granted what I say to someone at the finish line. Because, it, you know, when someone tells me it's saved, I didn't save her life. And I try to say that in the book. You know, I, it's the act of what I did may have. Uh, so it, it's a powerful story. And, and I, I, the reason I wanted to put it in there is so other people, maybe with the same type of issues, recognize what she had and maybe take some of the paths she did to, uh, to help herself out. And the working out, training for something, having that big, what I call that big, audacious, dizzily difficult goal, you know, where to have a tough goal in your life and shoot for it can take care of everything else too. You know, so, and it took care of it with her. She's, she's wow. well. That is, that is something that, um, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know only for you put those types of stories into the book. Um, and, you know, it has been proven that sport has such a huge impact on people's mental and emotional well-being. Yes, it's great for your physical uh, well-being for the most part, but the mental side of it and the emotional side of it is, is often overlooked. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen ourselves in, in people that I've met that I've, I've spoken to or I've interviewed, um, even during the week here, uh, some of the athletes that we've interviewed, they've come from a really, really dark place, but they've had sport as an outlet mm -hmm. for happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, and you wouldn't think that Ironman, because it is tough, it doesn't matter how good an athlete you are, Ironman as, a, as an event is tough, it's 140.6 miles of, of racing, um, but it can give you so much in terms of putting your life back on the right track. It does. It, it, it has this way of, I call it the, the life equalizer, because usually when you're having a tough time in your life, something's out of balance. And it could be something you're doing yourself. If you're going to go work out, you know, 40 hours a week and ignore your family and your work, life's going to go to shit. It's just that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't care just because you think you're in great shape or you can race well. Everything else is out of balance. So if you balance it, you know, working out and doing it in the correct way and spending time with your family and friends and, you know, taking care of yourself, it... it it's an equalizer. It can make sure everything else is in the play. It's, it's amazing. You have a very um, prolific uh, role on the finish line. You are known worldwide as the voice of Ironman. Does that bring its own level of pressure um, in terms of, you know, especially on the finish line, wanting to be there to call every single athlete home? the expectation that if Mike Riley is at an Ironman event, he's going to call me home. Does, does that ever... Yeah, it's... it's uh, I don't... I guess I don't look at it as pressure. I, I, I put on more self-pressure to be there. And, you know, I've stood there because I knew somebody was coming. And she or he really wanted me to call him. And I've had to go to the bathroom for like an hour and a half. But who cares? You know, I said it... I said it you know about little Grace McDonald and when you get to the Grace story in the book uh, you have to hold yourself together because it's a difficult story that ends well for the family but you know she told me as a little kindergarten you're going to call my dad an Iron Man on Sunday and to be 
in the bathroom or you know grabbing getting something to eat and missing him is unfathomable I, I just couldn't imagine letting down a, a family member and that's the other thing I think about all the time when we proclaim someone an Iron Man the family is hearing us who are on site they're hearing it live throughout the world the recording they're watching Iron Man live so they they're waiting for that moment because sometimes it's a greater moment for them than it is for that athlete. They just, they're so proud of him or, you know, or they've been putting up with the guy for six months and they want to get this thing over with. But, you know, good, That's get true it. too, yeah. Come back home and do the dishes. <laughs> yeah. You know? I need to reduce my shopping bill and yep. my laundry bill. Exactly. So, so it, the pressure thing, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I certainly do hear it from people if they're not called by me. I, I, I will, after every Ironman that I'm not at, whether it's Wales or Mike, you weren't there, can you? And for the most part, I try to call people on the phone. I've done that 90, 95% of the time. And other time I'll send them a message back or, and, and say it. And some of those conversations on the phone are absolute classics because they have no idea. And also they go, hello. I go, hi, Jane Brown, I heard you didn't get to hear at the finish line at the well, what you wanted to hear. Uh, who's this? And so I keep up. Is, is this Mike Riley? There's no way. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's me. And sometimes they think they're getting punked or whatever. <laughs> and and uh, so, uh, and then we talk for a while, and then I do it, and it's just, I almost, I almost lose it every time I do it because I know because guys will lose it. I'll hear them, you know. And, the women will lose it and start crying and, or call the family over so they can hear it on the phone. And a lot of them, I'll, I'll, I'll do it and, and they'll say, can you call back in two minutes and leave the recording on my phone? I go, no, I gave it to you once. I'm not going to. I'm not going to call back and leave the recording. But I've done a lot of recordings, that's for sure. We touch on um, the family aspect for the athletes, and they're the spectators. They're, you know, something that we say is like the free energy for the athletes out on the course, because the spectators help us to deliver that yeah. magic moment on the carpet. Yeah, I call them the iron spectators. You know, it's a, it's a tough day on them also. But I always, I always challenge the spectators. you got to go home with sore hands and sore voices. If you do that... I know you're giving those athletes everything they deserve because it's all about them. It, it's and and the, I love looking at you know the grandma and grandpas or the aunts and uncles or the mom and dads at the finish line when they're coming in. The look on their face and the expression when we yell their name and call them an Ironman. It's sometimes I look at the family and not the athlete and go go back and forth because you you always know which athlete if they got a sign and and when they got the sign I I'll yell out hey. Is Billy on the way? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, you know when they just hear their son's name or whoever it may be. But, but you you get energy off that as well, don't you? Oh, because yeah. the spectators it, help us to build that atmosphere. No doubt. Yeah. You know, people go, how do you go that all day? I go, well, you're, you're drawing from everybody around you. I mean, the excitement. I'm drawing from the athletes, drawing from the spectators, drawing from watching the the race crew put on the race mm. because of what they're doing. It's it's like one of the best musicals ever and. It's going to crescendo at midnight, and it's just—I just know that's going to happen. I've been involved with it so many times, and it's a beautiful thing to be a part of and be in the in the middle of. It. You get to travel the world as well, which is is fantastic. New Zealand, Australia, Europe, Ireland, across the states. I know it's it's. It's kind of like pinch myself moment, I, really, I isn't know. it? Sometimes I'll be going for a run, or I'll, I'll take a bike, and I'm riding through the town, and 
you know, in, in New Zealand or Australia or even at home in Lake Placid and go, are you kidding me? I wouldn't normally probably come here. Maybe I'd go to New Zealand one time in my life. And I have friends go, I gotta make a New Zealand trip trip one time in my life. And I'm afraid to tell them I've been there like 20 years in a row. You know, it, it, they go, what? So same with Australia. Or, it just, you know, and the one year they brought me, I came over and, and did Frankfurt. I, I watched Frankfurt. Frankfurt was the first Ironman I was ever at that I watched and didn't announce. I've only done that twice. And it'd be very tough for me to go to an Ironman and not work it. Mm. I just can't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go. So it... Uh, but I did that, and then the next time I came back and I and I worked Frankfurt. Terms of recovery, we talk about athletes and the recovery that they need. But as an announcer, you'll be on the microphone for you know pretty much your day is longer than as long as the event team's day. It's it's twenty four, could be twenty five hours by the time you're out of bed on site. You mm -hmm. know you're working through the day. How do you protect your own mind, your own body, your own physical health, and your voice? to make sure that you can continue to, to work the finish line for so long, the prep beforehand, maybe the recovery after. You, know, you just you just take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get the liquids during the day, the food. Uh, I let the mic, uh, speaker system do the work. You don't, no need to yell or scream. I mean, I can raise my, and I, I, I've just been very fortunate I don't lose my voice. The next day it's raspy and beat up, mm -hmm. but uh, I've never knock on wood lost my voice on race day I refuse to let that happen that would be it it's not going to so uh, I, I don't know and then recovery the next day we do the awards and you're all jacked up for that and then the slot allocation of having people go to Kona that qualify at the race how beautiful is that mm. and then go to dinner that night and if, I usually go home you know not long after the race is over just to get back and that's when I'll be on the plane going Oh my God! I feel like a truck just hit me. And, and then, it's called the Ironman hangover. I yeah, think. yeah, there's a hangover. So I'll get home, and the next day I'll just kind of mope around and maybe go for a long bike ride of like 40 minutes. I swear, <laughs> I think it's I'm out there forever just to get moving. And by the day after that, I'm okay. Here we go. I'm good. So it, it, the recovery is some some are a little longer. The Kona week. It's a little longer. I actually stay there one or two nights after. That's my recovery. Because if I came right back home, you're into the... Mm. And just to relax there on the islands, it really helps. Because I've come home right after the race and been beat up for a week. And go, God, why did... But, you know, Kona's Monday there's something. Tuesday, Wednesday, you know. Like Saturday to me sometimes seems like a rest day. You know, on race day. On race day, yeah. I was about to say Saturday's going, race day, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Saturday's <laughs> race day there. So... It, the recovery is uh, different for different races, but it, it happens. It's quick. It's yeah. And of course, uh, Rose is with you here in Ireland yes, as well. Is. I had a great chat with Rose over breakfast this morning. So you're married 44 years in August. Yes. Uh, childhood sweethearts from Sweet 16. High school. Yeah. 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 That's nearly as long as an Ironman endurance race itself. That Trust me, a marriage like that is an Ironman. <laughs> and... and if anybody's out there been married over 25 years, they know what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> but she's so supportive of you as well, Mike, as are Aaron and Andy, your two children. Yeah, and, and you know, it, uh, 
Rose had her own business in the endurance business, had a magazine in that that my son Andy bought. So he's still in the business and he's got a marketing company. Erin went down the financial as a financial planner, but after her, she was a gymnast. And then all of a sudden, one day she goes, I want to run Boston. And she went and ran Boston. So, you know, and, and then Andy did Ironman Arizona in 2013 after playing minor league baseball, getting paid to play baseball. Uh, so they've all, they've seen the endurance lifestyle. Rose was a marathoner, I ran marathon. So they, they grew up around that lifestyle. Uh, and they love it. They, they, uh, Aaron said, I want to, next time I can't wait to take, she's got two boys, take the boys to Ironman one day. And I'm thinking, geez, oh man, how long you want me to do this? I mean, <laughs> they're only four and one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, uh, it, it, it's, it's been a great, it's our world, but it's not our world because when I come home, it, it's our lifestyle. It's kind of shut out. I don't shut out Iron Man. I'm still a part of it. When I go in my office or when I was writing my book, you know, obviously it's a big part of it. But uh, there's many things we do outside that world as a family. So, so in the downtime when you're not working, what what are you doing? What are uh, you riding your bike? Yeah, I'll, I'll ride. Uh, I'll meet friends for lunch. I still keep up with a couple companies I used to work with and people that work there, what's going on. Uh, I'll uh, work with my son at his marketing company, you know, if he needs any advice. Uh, I, you know, for the last 18 years, I've been on the organizing committee for the largest running conference in the world, Running USA, and I still emcee that. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Triathlon Business International which is based out of the U.S., which is a organization for the businesses of triathlon. So we have a conference every year, and I help put that on. So, you know, there's always something to do. You know, but it, it, since I don't have a day job, I don't go anywhere to work anymore, it, it kind of feels like I'm, because I've always had, I come home from an announcing job, I come home from Australia, I'd get home Monday night, and I'd be back in the office on Tuesday, and then work, and that's what started to get me down. I go, God dang. How long can I do this? So about four years ago, I said, you know, I get rid of the day stuff. Now you can get your book done, and now you can just concentrate on on Ironman. It's great. So the, the stats say that you've called about four hundred thousand athletes across the finish line. That, that's that's what they're telling me. The numbers. Yeah. Are, yeah. It's incredible to think that there's that many triathletes who have stepped up and, and, and done an Ironman. Yeah, how come I, how come I haven't sold 400,000 books? I, <laughs> I think you only brought I, like 100 I, to Ireland. Well, yeah, I just I figured, you know, well, if I could sell 10%, I'm doing good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you do have it out in audiobook yeah. as well. And it is called uh, Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. Um, and you can get it at uh, Mike Riley just go to MikeRiley.net it'll give you all the outlets to get it Amazon Barnes & Noble you know all that good stuff one of the things we haven't touched on which I just want to quickly chat about is Women for Try because you're involved with the Women mm -hmm. for Try movement as well um, a hugely positive aspect of Ironman trying to encourage more women to take up the sport of triathlon yeah Women for Try is a uh, run by the Ironman Foundation and I'm the ambassador captain of the Ironman Foundation. Uh, and the Women for Tri program, I think is, I've always been such a proponent for more women just to get active and be in the sport and be a part of the sport and not be a, afraid of the sport, you know? So uh, what, what Women for Tri has done is make the entry and the introduction much easier, 
much softer, much, you know, something you can go with a friend and go, this is not so bad. And there's other women like me that may have had the trepidation to get into it, but they talk to someone, hey, I did it. You talk to a, a Moira Haran and, and she, you know, she can get you involved quickly. And there's great ambassadors like yourself here in Ireland for Women for Try that once you have a conversation with you or Moira or others, uh, I think what they realize is they go, I can do this. Because none of us can go and do something we've never done before and jump right in. Not whether it's triathlon or running, but even on a job or if someone says, hey, go do that. What do you mean? I've never done that before. What do I got to do? You don't, you know, and, and so, and the, and the physical aspect of, you know, the swimsuit of getting in the water, because if they don't have a swimming background, you know, it, there's always fear about that. And then I haven't been on a bike in you know, 18 years. What are you talking about? So uh, the Women for Try, I think, has done a tremendous job. And they are increasing the numbers of how many women are coming in the triathlon. Uh, and, and there's so many women out there that run 5Ks and 10, 10Ks, and they're in decent shape anyway. So they go look at a triathlon of a sprint distance or whatever it may be. I always say once, once they get their toes wet, they're hooked. Well, I also think as well it's about the triathlon spirit. It's the community spirit as well that, um, you know, I, I suppose in running, cycling and swimming specifically, you're in that specific community. Um, but when you're in triathlon, you're meeting such a wide range of people because mm -hmm. you might be a good swimmer, an average biker and a great runner. You're training with different people all the time. So you might turn up to a swim squad training session but you might have you might know anybody that's swimming but you might have met somebody the day before at track and saying okay i'm going to go swimming because i now know you so yeah. you've got that whole wingman or wingwoman mentality and no matter how confident you are i think walking into a swimming pool to try and do a swim meet it's very daunting it's, it's, or yeah. even to go out on your bike having not been on it or to go running and i think you know, with triathlon, and you kind of see it as well here in Yall. Um, this morning I was out running really early, and they, not only the triathlon community are here, they all said hello, but the people themselves, mm -hmm. like the local residents that were out walking the dog, walking to work, like everybody is just, great. I, know. I know we're all, a lot of athletes are in competition with each other, but actually it's an individual sport, but we actually help each other along the way as well, and I think that's very, it's a triathlon spirit, I think. It's, 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 it's a strong fabric of, of, of knitting everybody together. And, and it does it in a very short period of mm. time. It's just a matter of one or two conversations. And next thing you know, you're, you're getting in that lane in that pool or you're getting on the bike. Uh, and it's a very helpful, it's a very helpful environment. No, it's, it's not like, oh, I... I want to be faster than her if somebody comes in. That's not how it's looked at. It's looked at camaraderie of, I want you to succeed. So what if I do this race and it's, you know, 10 minutes faster than you? Nobody, nobody cares. It's not, that's not the deal. The deal is we all came to the finish line together. We trained and went through the same thing. You know, when you have a shared purpose with someone else, uh, shared in, in, you know, a tough training session or shared in... Uh, maybe a tragedy that happened you share with somebody, you, you connect with them because you have that shared purpose. And it's so positive in the triathlon world. I've had women come up to me and go, oh my God, I'm 42 years old, I'm getting a triathlon, and I've been doing this for two or three years now, and some of my best friends now are friends I met three years ago in this. And they go, yeah, I still have high school friends, you have a connection, 
But for some reason, this connection of this shared purpose and friendship is a quick bond. Mm. It's not a fake. There's no fake to it. You know, you didn't meet at a cocktail party and, hey, what do you do for a living? And, you know, it's, it's, it's really a shared purpose of, oh, my gosh, I kind of want to get to this finish line. How can I do it? And I think also as well, you know, there's... There's, there's the training sessions where not me personally getting up at six in the morning to go training but like you're going through the hardship of that 180k bike ride in training when it's absolutely lashing rain or you're getting into the sea when it's really rough and it's like we have done this together we've battled this session together so yes it's the shared purpose but it's the collective feeling of like we did this together and it's almost like when it's tougher afterwards it's you're sitting around laughing and go can you believe we put our butts in that water oh my god you know but y'all got in you got out and you go that wind almost knocked me over on the bike and you're laughing and when you're doing it you're going are you kidding me i'm reevaluating my life here i can't even get up this hill and then you get done you go oh my gosh that was the greatest hill ever, wasn't it? <laughs> They'll be talking about Windmill Hill for years here in Yall. Uh, I think they will. And we're coming towards the end of the interview, Mike, but I wanted to just ask you... Is this an interview? I thought we were just oh, having sorry, a Fireside Chat, <laughs> yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. Fireside Chat, looking out over the uh, the sea here in Yall. What's that sea called? Uh, Yall? No. Oh, the sea. Have you done your homework? Yeah, the water. It's not. What's it called? It's, it's not the Irish Sea. It's, it's, uh, I looked. I did my homework, but I just forgot. It's called... Oh, shoot. It's not the Irish Sea, it's the, the West End. There's a one little strip, it's a different, you gotta do your homework on that because it's, I think, where we swim. We have to name. Oh, it's further down, it's further down. Yeah, yeah. it's not, not directly not right here. here. Yeah, yeah, there's a lovely little cove, uh, about two kilometers from where we are now, a nice little hill as well, but it's a downhill finish line. I'm not forgetting what question I was going to ask you now, I'm like, oh yes, this is the question. If there's anybody, I suppose, listening to us who maybe hasn't done an Ironman before and is kind of listening and kind of thinking, holy crap, maybe I could do, you know, 140.6 miles of racing. You know, what what would you tell them to do in terms of like what race to pick or why should they pick a particular race? Or The first thing I would do is, is try to find a great local tri-club and, and just go there and go to one of the meetings, hear people talk. Uh, talk to the organizer or any of the officers of the club and and as soon as the words come out of your mouth I'd like to I'm thinking about doing triathlon you'll be taken care of so the tri clubs are a great network worldwide I mean that's what's great about it, worldwide I tell people that no matter where I'm at and they'll come up to me two years oh my god I'm still a member of the, the triathlon club San Diego because you told me to go talk to them and I go to the now I do triathlon so that, that's the first thing and then let them carry you through on uh, getting a coach and what nutrition and what races to do because uh, the, the other great thing about tri clubs they sometimes do their own mini events and, and some events just practice transitions on one weekend you know and some will go hey we're just going to do a quick transition swim to bike rip off the stuff you know just to get used to it so it, it that's really the way to go if you try to do it on your own you're going to be a guessing a lot of time and guessing gives you just too much angst gives you too much pressure so make sure you get yourself lined up with a tri club that's my best advice i can give on that aside from kona what is your favorite race to announce or can i even ask that question will you get into trouble for naming one over another have you a, that, have you a uh, race I, the best race for me to announce is in my book oh <laughs> And that book is called Finding My Voice, I, Mike Riley. And there's a reason, and when you read it, you'll understand why I didn't answer it right now. 
So uh, it, it, it is in there. Okay. Well, I think we're going to finish up our little chat here now with Mike Riley. Delighted that he joins us on the podcast. Fantastic to have him here in Ireland. I am really excited to work with him on Sunday. Obviously, this episode will be up Wait, after it, the event. This is not work, is it? Oh, is no, this? it's not work. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it is, though, is it? It's the long hours. I'm only joking. Yeah. You know, to, to, to uh, co-announce with Mike Riley is an absolute privilege and a pleasure. To have him here in Ireland is absolutely fantastic for not only for the Ironman team, but for the athletes as well. And I look forward to seeing how the race unfolds. I'm also looking forward to reading Finding My Voice by Mike Riley. I got a beautiful copy of the book and a fantastic inscription in the book as well from Mike, which is very, very touching. So I'm uh, going to wrap it up again. Huge thanks to Mike Riley and Mahalo. Mahalo and aloha to you. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. For more info and to subscribe for free, go to www.trytalkingsport.com.